Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Microphone. Every week. Every week something. Every week you try and record it without a microphone. It's ridiculous. It's It's like me trying to take a selfie with the camera facing the the wrong wrong way way. and I'm going, I can't see myself. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to the last episode of series two of Postcards from Midlife. During the past 11 weeks of this second series, we've been chatting all things menopause, parenting, partners, husbands, kids, cats and dogs, as well as midlife sex, sleep and lots of health and beauty conundrums as well. We hope we've kept you informed and a little bit amused with our goings on and our silly shenanigans. I love that word, shenanigans. Recording this series during lockdown has helped us both enormously and we hope it's kept you entertained as well. Now though, we are at the last episode of series two. We will be back, so please watch out for news about the next series on your podcast provider or on our Instagram or our Facebook group. And if you've missed any episodes, you can catch all of Series 1 and all of Series 2 still available on download. So Lorraine, do you want to tell everyone what's coming up in today's finale? Because it's a bit of a corker, isn't it? Well, it's not that we've saved the best to last, but we do have something of the best for you for the last bit of Postcards from Midlife. We spent um, very recently a wonderful couple of hours with Kathleen Moran in her garden, socially distanced, talking about her brilliant new book, More Than a Woman. She was funny. She was honest. She was very, very candid about the battles and challenges that she is facing in midlife. And we talked about everything from parenting, where she talked very honestly about parenting her daughter who had an eating disorder and why she is now a Botox convert. And we'll be finding out if you're a convert too, Lorraine, won't we? Because you've taken the leap and given the uh, old Botox a little go for this week's tried and tested section. The things I do for midlife women. (laughs) (laughs) And it's another first for you with our teen topic, isn't it? Because it's all about emptiness and what happens when our kids actually leave us after all those years of threatening to leave us and then they finally do go and leave us. So uh, we're going to be talking a bit about that uh, later on in the show as well. First, though, we thought we'd have a little look back at what we've learned in this series and the things that maybe stood out for us on a personal level. Um, Lorraine, what what struck a chord with you, do you think? Do you know what I've liked most about uh, recording Postcards from Midlife and talking to all those wonderful women that told us their stories, you know, whether it was Kate Garraway, Beverly Turner, Marion Keys, is the enormous community that we seem Mm. to have built uh, around us because they're they're just there's a gap there's a a place where women need to go to tell their midlife stories um I seem to have got people swimming in the open water you have you've got me (laughs) swimming in the in the very cold tooting lido last week very very good for menopausal women that's been great to see 
Um, lots of women awake at four o'clock in the morning. Isn't it funny to think about that? I used to think about that when I had the babies, that there's probably women all over London wide awake mm. at 4 a.m. like me. They're kind of the same for midlife women. Um, we just done an episode on sleep, so hopefully um, yeah. we can help cure that. That was a but bit of a, a game changer for me, that episode. Was it? And you, yeah, just the one thing, because it's um, Catherine Pinkham talking, giving a very sleep different drive. approach to insomnia and the sleep drive, mm. and just that whole stuff of do not look at the clock when you wake up. So I've just... I've been doing that in the last week and I've been getting back to sleep much quicker I have to say Mm. and being less stressed about the quality of my sleep rather than the quantity so I really recommend anybody who hasn't listened to that episode with Catherine Pinkham they should do that over the series and we've interviewed experts we've interviewed HRT experts cancer experts sleep experts women who've got amazing stories to tell and sad stories to tell and throughout the whole of it it really the the three things I think I've learned have been that you should always get a second opinion Mm, find your voice ask for a second opinion and that you are not in any way alone there's there Mm -hmm. is a community out there our Facebook community has been particularly supportive of some women asking questions and also I think in midlife there is perhaps this need to slow down little maybe it's just me but I think we learned that over the zoom Mm. period didn't we Trish we were I remember you saying to me at one point let's try not to do that all in one go let's give us ourselves a bit more time to do that which yeah in our previous lives editing oh, magazines rushing, rushing around, everywhere rushing yeah indeed we might not have done I like that yeah, idea of slowing yeah, down but yeah what, what have you learned through well I think um, sort of on the back of that really I think the kind of finally adjusting to, to life as being self-employed which we're both we both are now and um you know because I think we've both been institutionalized for working for companies for probably three decades and um you know 30 years of that's a long time and you can kind of come away feeling a bit obsolete but again that kind of community that we've created around the podcast has made me realize just so many women out there doing so many amazing things with their lives with their second acts the things that they want to do next the things that they're already doing Um, and I think that's kind of really it's going to be a key one for us I think something we're going to pick up on in series three because um, you know unfortunately with COVID with unemployment women in midlife are are likely to be the worst affected by unemployment getting back into the workplace I think in the coming years so I think that's something that we really want to look at isn't it Lorraine? Yes I think Trish I've come to realise it's a whole whole new journey it's a kind of Mm. there's a pause and it's a second era this starting again in midlife isn't it yeah it is and I had this very bizarre dream uh, literally uh, two nights <laughs> this is ago. What like. I know. Fish I just... going off on a giant tangent. Off we go. <laughs> it's rather strange because it involves Ricky Gervais. It doesn't involve sex, but it involves Ricky Gervais. I didn't ask if it involves sex. Did I? <laughs> didn't need that bit of information in oh, your life for you. Sure. Well, it's very on, strange. So I was. My dream was all about sort of this sort of acceptance of my new life, and that I, you know, don't have a job, but I am doing it for myself. I am self-employed. I am freelance. I am making it happen, and. And I think I've sort of in the back of my mind, I've been sort of anxious about about that. And um, in my dream, Ricky was sitting on a sofa on a precipice and he was calling (laughs) me to him. And he was saying, (laughs) he was saying, accept it. This is right for you. You will be all right, blah, 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 blah. And I had to jump across the precipice to get to Ricky to get my information. It was very, it was quite strange. I have been watching Afterlife. So that might have you watched Afterlife? (laughs) So that's the kind of subliminal messaging. Yeah, definitely. Now, on the last episode of Postcards from Midlife, it's time to hear from our special guest, Catelyn Moran. 
Catlin is a columnist at the Times newspaper, as well as being the best-selling author of the books How to Build a Girl, How to Be a Woman, and her latest hit, More Than a Woman, which chronicles her experiences and philosophies on the complexities of being a middle-aged woman. Here's what happened when we caught up with Catlin in her home. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Catelyn. Thank you so much for having us and for inviting us to your home. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. As a freelance writer who works from home, I'm terribly chronically lonely. So every time I can lure someone over to my house for 20 minutes and pretend they're my friends, that's, that's basically my job. And we are sitting in a very special kind of pod in your garden. Tell us about the pod. It's a giant pod. A giant circular garden. A pod in a pod. pod. Yeah, with chairs and tables in. It's my, it's my writing pod. But we're here to talk about your fantastic new book more than a woman congratulations we both absolutely loved it oh, we've spent a lot of laugh out loud laughing and out loud and everything howling. um how's the reaction been so far the tone was set by i went on lorraine at half past eight in the morning we had a really lovely chat and at the end of it she went i'm gonna reclaim the word vulva really loudly which was amazing but apparently the subtitles had it that she was saying i'm going to reclaim the word volvos and there was a lot of I hard opinion about this trish wasn't i very <laughs> confused and that kind of set the tone so yeah it's yeah. been um, oh. it's been lovely it's all been back to back but the response already there's so many people who were going i ordered it it's arrived this morning and i've taken the day off work to read oh, yeah. it and then many of them saying i took the day off work to read it and then obviously within 20 minutes of opening the book a child came and asked me where its shoes was so (laughs) I will be having to read it later because that is the story of being a middle-aged woman oh and tell us about because it's a really interesting structure for the book you've done it in sort of day of a life a day in the life of a sort of midlife woman by hour tell how did that come about and the the sort of concept for the book? Well, it's based on the medieval books of hours, uh, in which each hour is apportioned to a different task in medieval <laughs> times. And also because when I wrote How to Be a Woman, that was a chronological memoir from the ages of 13 to 30. And sort of each chapter was an incident, like, you know, the first time you get your period, first time you learn to masturbate, sort of having an abortion or whatever, to which I could then sort of go off into a rant or talk about things. And then in a really good way, and I'm not bitter about this at all, so many other people stole that format for their books. Like, yeah. there are so many how-to yeah. books out there. And I was like, well, I can't go back and do it again now, because it'll just look like I'm copying them rather than being the originator so then it was like well let's do a day because that that in a nutshell is the problem of being a middle-aged woman like in a 24-hour period Mm. you have to do everything for everyone but you're still you you're still the 13 year old or the 20 year old or the 30 year old inside you but suddenly it's just assumed that you will be brilliant and capable and willing to do everything you're looking after the dying you know your parents you're you're counseling your teenage children through their adolescences and their their crises your friends are divorcing and you're having to sort of sail off like the cavalry and save them so so yeah i thought the 24-hour uh, format would work quite well do, do you look in the mirror and what do you, who which age do you see when you look in the mirror because i always think why are these people talking to me? I'm 18. I don't. I don't know anything. And what's this happened here? Well, since what I've had the Botox, s- I'm, yeah. I'm looking at a very well-preserved 45. It's rather than very the, good. It's good, isn't it? Tiny yeah. little natural bit. And yeah. funny enough, that's been one of the most controversial this bits. This bit in the here. Yeah, so it's the 11s well, in the middle. The, the furrow line in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. the 11s in the middle, then sort of around the jawline, because I've got very thin, very stretched skin. And so they just sort of around there, a little bit around the mouth and stuff. And it's just sort of a But mentally, who look. do you feel? I'm still very much in contact with my 13-year-old self. Like, kind 13, of like, she's... Yeah. yeah, that's my girl. I'm always talking to her. She's always talking to me. But I also keep in contact with my 60-year-old self. I think it's really interesting yeah. to talk to your future self. That's how the book starts, isn't yeah. it? It really begins by the, I'm coming back to tell you. Yes. Which is sort of partly why we started the podcast, wasn't it, mm. Trish? We wanted to be able to say, this has been a giant shock 
two very sensible women who've mm-hmm. worked in media <laughs> for a very long time, had lots of children between us. But I just, I didn't see this coming. No. Mm. I, I didn't have even an inkling, even with childbirth, because everyone tells you the stories and you just think, oh, it can't be that gory. And it is. And <laughs> blah, 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 blah. But this, I just, I, li- I had no idea. Did you, could you see it coming at you in any way? No, God, I was absolutely the opposite way. I'd presumed that I had done all of the hard stuff. Like, I, you know, people had come out of my genitals. Like, you know, yeah. I had finally worked out what my hair you had actually built like. two girls. I had made two human beings. Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought by the time I got to 30, when I finished How to Be a Woman, I was like, right, I have chronicled everything that's difficult about being a woman because those are the years where you work out who you are and how to keep yourself safe and happy. The rest of it's got to be easy. Like, the kids will be older, they'll be teenagers, they'll sort themselves out, and I will just go for... They can get l- dressed on their own. They can wipe their own asses. <laughs> I'm off the job. Yeah. And I just thought that it was going to be... My, my midlife was going to be a series of really lovely long lunches with gal pals, possibly in the Mediterranean. Lovely, nice, big funny named coffees with your teenagers in shops yeah there. exactly big cocktails linen trousers kind of <laughs> wafting, this wafting. Yeah. elegance i thought i was going to be really yeah, elegant, elegant and leisured and kind of and composed and of course that's not what happens in men life at all because it's worse than teenage well suddenly you are the fifth emergency service because if you're a halfway sorted middle-aged woman you are the one that is going to mm. have to go around you're the one that gets the knock on the door you're the one that gets the phone call you're the one that gets the email or you're the one that notices there's a problem and goes let's talk about this you know it's almost like we're freelance troubleshooting in other people's lives giant list going on everywhere Endless. in your head yeah at least my, my to-do list is at least five pages long did you know about perimenopause i what i that mean to you? in the same way that i had heard that periods happen to you but i was pretty sure they wouldn't happen to me i was the <laughs> same about the perimenopause i was like well it's a rumor and maybe it happens in other countries but it just doesn't seem like it's likely to happen to me and then those that when you first i'm perimenopause or now and when it first started happening the you're contrast. 45 now. 45 now, yeah. yeah. You're on the, you're at the beginning of the. <laughs> of a whole wagon of bullshit. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> We're in our 50s oh, now. It, you come out the other side. It does yes, get better. Jolly. Yeah, but it's very jolly. Yeah, but we'd yeah. love to explore got, a bit with you because we've got I've a got list. of perimenopause oh, really? symptoms. And I just thought I'm going to run through because this, this was the biggest shock to yes. me. Trish got tinnitus. Wow. Which Weird. is a symptom. Yeah. Weird. What? Perimenopause. You got the menopause in your ears. Yes. Burning tongue. Have you had that? Oh, have I? These no, are... I get dry mouth. I don't know if that's. I mean, everyone thing. thinks hot flushes. Yes. Breast soreness. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They're, they've Headaches. always they've been wibbly wobbly bags of trouble since the day they were born. <laughs> Headaches. Yes. 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 Headaches. Yes. yes. Gum problems. No, thank God. Muscle tension. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's being alive. <laughs> Tingling extremities. Yes. Yeah. No, is that mm. one of the difficulty symptoms? concentrating? No, I'm all right for that. Brain fog. No. Memory lapses? No, but get to the bit where the furious rage overwhelms you and makes you want to kill (laughs) everyone else. Dizziness, bloating, stress incontinence, body odour, extremes of body odour. I mean, I've had all of those all my life. I'm just like a pissy, farty problem. Honestly, there are at least, what did Dr. Newsom tell us, 36 symptoms. And if you tick more than about 10, which most of us will, you're in the perimenopause. But it's difficult to know that that tinnitus combined with some weird sweating combined with something else is is that. I just thought it was something that was happening. I assumed I had a brain tumour, terrible brain tumour. But I think the rage seems to be the thing that from from our Facebook group, from the listeners, that is the thing that we all have in yes, common, the yeah. anger and the rage. And you have ri- you wrote about that. Yes, which had a that. huge response. Yeah, you wrote a column yeah. about this for the Times. And like mm. as, as someone who took, uh, you know, a fair amount of party drugs in the, in the 90s, um, it was like 
coming down off an ecstasy tablet because like estrogen just makes you so fluffy and loving and you know all the things that we think of as female you know you're forgiving mm-hmm. and loving and caring and huggy and all this and soft and lovely and then you can feel the estrogen leaving your body it drains out of you in the same well, way that I drugs I didn't know do. that was happening to me really <laughs> but we, we've both found that a really good dollop of HRT has oh, yes. helped the, the anger and the rage just has life. has yeah. gone yes. entirely and I don't know where you are same on here. that journey I had yeah. six months of furious rage and no libido as well which was mm. just an, an Annoying, and isn't it? vexing fanny dryness yeah. so just like just like not <laughs> not someone anybody wants to hang out of yeah it was sandy down there yeah. and uh so yes i was just so i asked some friends and just went off and got the hrt it took a while for them to balance it but the difference and also they found that i got an underactive thyroid and mm. i was massively deficient in vitamin d what about testosterone i had none yep no no testosterone i didn't have anything i was just sort of like an empty yeah, bin really exactly it's like the lubricant the mm. petrol everything mm gone but still manfully as they say <laughs> struggling on womanfully let's womanfully face it yeah. struggling on yes. yeah and yeah. how different do you feel pretty much back to normal now mm. and in a way i'm like oh would it have been good to stay as angry as i was i mean i certainly during that time before i got the hlt sorted out a lot of very efficient household rosters it was very much like okay I am never going to unload the dishwasher again. That's that's the revelation that this has given me. Here's the roster. You're doing this. You're doing you this. You people. I kept saying, you people. Yes. You're part of this now. Oh, the feminist rants. perimenopause, and this is the situation. Literally screaming the word patriarchy every no time get in the kitchen. No estrogen. Yes, uh, screaming it so much that Mabel, who's I've got, still got a nine-year-old, um, when she was about seven, wrote a whole list of things that are sexist in the house. <laughs> and I said, why have you written this? And she said, because because you, you keep talking about this really loudly, really loudly. And I'm just so cross about all the emotional labour. Now, you've always been really... Um, very open and kind of uh, happy about your body the fact that you love your body and you're still really happy with it you've written that in the book but we've noticed that you've started calling this period of your life the hag years yes Uh, drudge old crone your words what's going on there then how does that they need to be reclaimed in the same way that when I started talking about feminism uh, in uh, how to be a woman at that point people just did not use the word feminism we were still saying girl power instead which was you know it was great that the Spice Girls came up with that and you know little girls were running around saying girl power but that only means buying Spice Girls records and being friends with your friends whereas feminism is this whole other thing so uh, the uh, purpose of that of uh, how to be a woman was to reclaim the word feminism similarly in this I just want us to start talking about middle age and give middle aged women more options and whenever you take a pejorative and turn it into something positive like kind of then then there are less weapons for people to hurt you and the thing is that like you know it's one of those things you know you know victors write the history when men generally have written history books about hags and crones and witches it's all seen very negatively but if you look at the lives of hags and crones and witches it's brilliant they're these independent women who like you know have all this knowledge of herbals they have their their gangs of other witches and crones that they get together with and cackle and make up plans they're the wise women of the village they wear what they want they don't give a fuck they hang out with their animals they grow their gardens and i'm like yeah a hag life like kind of i love the word i think hag is I think hag is such a powerful word. If you're just looking someone in the eye and going, yeah, I am a proud and happy hag. <laughs> what can someone come at you with? Like, kind of like, it's like, I'm, I'm way ahead of you. How do we change the narrative, though? Because sometimes I just think the word menopause really upsets people and they can't hear it out loud. It makes them put their hands over their ears. And then how do we seep it into society so that people don't, A, we make fun of ourselves as well. Sometimes that's a problem, I think, the hot flush all the greeting cards making fun of middle-aged yeah. women how do we change it how do we make it better so that women don't go to the doctor and say 
I've got the menopause and I'm a bit ashamed of it. Because I get that's the sense we yeah, get yeah. from a lot of well, women. The, the, well, the, this is one of the sort of intents, hopefully, in More Than a Woman. Because like at the moment when we think about women getting older, we just presume that you are a formerly young person yeah. who has unfortunately stayed alive Terrible long enough to start to being old. It's like you've yeah. lost stuff. You lose skin elasticity. You know, you're losing yeah. your perkiness. So you, it, we think of it as loss that you can bravely manage. You've lost your fertility. And that's why I was so interested in talking about hag years like it, it's a literally different life you turn into someone else you have a third act to your life because yeah. and that's why again I came back to the hag thing because previously it was, the three phases of a woman's life were maid virgin then mother and then crone mm-hmm. and we still think now like you know I mean, God bless JLo but she's still basically presenting as a mother or a maid she's not going into her crone years yeah. Madonna's not going into her crone years no. and what do you do when you well I mean you know everybody has different interests as they get older but it is a huge relevant cliche that as you get older you get into gardening you know you get into hill walking you're really tightly bonded with your friends does actually like, make a difference though all of it though doesn't it it's yeah. like the yoga and the not drinking it mm. is the viable alternative all unfortunately <laughs> now as you're getting older and happens with our read our listeners on postcast from midlife are experiencing this your teenage girls where well, your girls are developing in front of you and then i look at mine and think oh look at that gorgeous tight little skin there and her what those shorts they're amazing little perky nothing's hanging around her knees bit jealous of that little bit melancholy bit conflicted don't know what to say how did you deal with that with girl? You've got two girls. So yeah. How did you well, deal? I mean, I was lucky. It's I'm putting like that it's inverted. Underlining it for well, you. <laughs> well, not not really because like when I was their age, I was a size 22, um, and uh, with NHS glasses, really terrible skin. We were so poor that I didn't have a coat. I was wearing a dressing gown, and I was wearing my dad's old clothes because we only bought stuff from jumble sales. But when you're that big, particularly in the 80s, yeah. there just aren't secondhand clothes in that size. So I was just wearing my dad's shirt. I smelt because my mum didn't let us buy deodorant because she thought it would give us. Mm-hmm cancer and I was just in a house of sort of like poverty and despair so um so everything's been you know physically it's been an improvement like kind yeah. of like when everybody yeah. else is mourning like the perkiness of their youth I never had perkiness my tits grew downwards from day one they are womble noses oh, like kind of that was nose. always yeah. I've never had I've always had chub rub like kind of like you know I've chafing. Been, yep I've always had chafing problems like my ass has never been an ass shape it's kind of <laughs> It's kind of a cauliflower thing. And like, you know, I I love all of that. But I so I've got the luckiness of not mourning a lost youth because yeah. I look yeah. so much better now and feel so much better in myself now. But in, it's not jealousy, really. It's just that giant noticing of everything changing. It kind of, For me, it just brought it really into sharp focus how much everything was changing in front of and it's also because you, you're not yeah, yeah. you're not you, you don't appreciate it at the time no. do you if you're a gorgeous 20 something or a gorgeous you, you don't necessarily appreciate it then and then you look back and think oh god i was hot but and i'm kinda... mindful that i don't want to i don't want to mess them up around it ever i, d- I don't want to say things that might make them think that because they're so beautiful whatever they look like yeah. however they're just amazing teenage girls they're just the most brilliant thing, definitely but... don't say anything about it because if you're saying to them you look so beautiful now look at your young skin look at your perky exactly, ass then yeah. they will be like you in 40 years time yes, going exactly. oh my god that was when people were commenting on my ass when i was young no one comments on my ass now and that yeah. perpetuates a cycle of abuse Lorraine. that is a very good mm-hmm. piece of advice i have yes. many advice about body positivity with teens i've had to learn the hard mm-hmm. way to be really it's, careful it's tough, about what you say it? around yeah. girls
Now, um, sharing the experience of your daughter's eating disorders and mental health issues um, was incredibly moving in the book. Uh, It was really sort of stopped me in in my tracks. Why did you feel it was so important to reveal what must have been a really intensely personal and harrowing experience for for you and your entire family? Yeah, and it's her experience as well. And I was very aware of that. She told me to write it because I had made so many mistakes in the first couple of years. So she was ill for three and a half years. And if you did you make mistakes or were you just no, I really did. did because you, you don't know, you because you're not given advice. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted yeah. to put it in the book. You're not given advice for how you deal with this. And first of all, you start doing it as a parent. So you, you're trying to parent your way out of this problem, this mental illness. So you, so you, you know, you go, well, should I punish you because you're not eating? Well, you can't punish them because they're punishing themselves. You can't treat them because they're completely shut down and in negation of all life and they feel illness. guilty. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. But you're not told how to deal with that. So you're yeah. going, okay, well then, you know, so put in the book, then we started trying to be really rational with her and give her these TED talks at like two o'clock in the morning like you know you are feeling terrible at the moment because you're not eating you need to get nutrition and then you will feel better that doesn't work and then we went through the clown phase where we were trying to jolly her out of it and like she'd come back and we'd be like jazz handsing in the hallway going we're gonna play buckaroo and i've made you a fabulous soup and i've bought you some pet rats and everything's gonna be amazing and that doesn't work either all the parenting things don't work you have to become a mental health professional and you're doing that 24 hours a day and there are things you should say and shouldn't say and if you get and they are so hyper aware when they've got an eating disorder if you say literally the wrong word that's the rest yeah. of the day gone yeah. and it takes you a yeah. long time to learn this so i was hoping i could fast track you know anyone who reads this to, to a different really place help. have you what's been the response oh because insane. it was there was an extract wasn't there yeah i we serialized it in the times last week um and the biggest shock was the amount of people that i know or people that i know of who were emailing me and dming me going it's happening to us. We've got it. We are too ashamed to talk about it. We're trying yeah, to keep it a secret. Of shame, isn't there? And that was why I wanted to talk about because our generation, the parents now, we grew up in an era where mental illness was seen as shaming. You didn't talk about it. And it was also presumed, and you still get pockets of this in the mental health industry now, where they think it's the parents' fault or it's the mother's fault and there's you've caused this illness around. so much. And of course, as a parent, you're blaming yourself anyway. Like for you everything. are just, yeah, yeah, you're just like, this must be me. But for her generation, the younger generation, they don't have these stigmas around mental health like we do. No. It's much more open which is one of the reasons why she was like you've got to write about it because like you know kids of my age we're all helping each other and sorting each other out it's your generation that needs the help on this you need to start a conversation where you talk about this and people can finally be out in the open about it because it's just the same as having a child who's got leukemia or a broken leg if that had happened to you a physical illness you'd be talking to your friends about it and telling everyone and trying to get all the help that you could but often if it's a mental illness the family keeps it as a secret and the child sees that and they feel go well this must be my fault this is a guilty secret and it makes it even worse well, they want to make you happy so they don't want to cause any problems do totally they? and that's, that's when the they other. go away and self-harm like yeah. you know that's when you see your yeah. you know they you know so that and that's all the communication you know when you find your child with like cuts all up its arms that's its way of saying it's telling you that it feels sad but it's too scared to say it to you because it doesn't want to upset you and once you learn all these things that's sort of the ways that people in intense distress are trying to communicate with you when they don't think that you can listen to them properly then you're like well why are we not all taught to listen properly to children who are in well, distress? Well, active listening is the premise of all family therapy, isn't and it? And that was the thing I did because I, a generally very good, we're a very open family, very, very close, but the one thing I could not do and that I've had to learn the hard way is deal with sadness. If someone's sad, I'm like, let's make it better. Let's make a joke. Let's just think about fabulous things. Like, that's what I do to myself. And for someone with a mental illness, that's torture. Because is she, how I, is she now? She is now so fully recovered. She's just like, she's been very strict about what I can and can't talk about. I mean, but that's what wonderful for parents to know because 
often with eating disorders it's almost impossible to to, to it's very rare to get someone fully recovered so I couldn't find a single yeah and, I couldn't find a yeah. single hopeful story I combed every yeah. single resource available yeah. when she was ill and I couldn't find a single positive story and that was another reason why because we've been so lucky because you know what you want to read the stories of the lucky people when you're going through well, this that's, that's why I think it's so important about the book because the the fact that coming through the other side is possible will be really helpful Let's talk about the humour because that yes. interests me. So you you're just saying that the humour is what got you through in a way, and you 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 write it out. It's a cathartic thing. If you're not you with this God-given talent to write amazing things, <laughs> what? How do you think? How could we help a woman get through all those feelings? Because I think that's the difficult. You know, you can write it out or you can paint it out, or but if you're you're just going through a very normal life, you're you're in a normal job. How do you? get rid of all of that and and make it keep it outside of you so it doesn't ruin the inside of you in midlife well i think a lot of it is well there's two things there's the there's the negative stuff that you're dealing with that feels like it's trapped inside your body and that's a shock that's a huge shock and like the the key fact remember and part of the reason why this is such a difficult phase in life is that no one looks after middle-aged women like no one, no. no one's going to come and ask you how you are. Well, no one's going to come and sort them. it out. Even their doctors don't believe. And there's a survey among GPs, older GPs, saying that people laughed at them at work when they talked about their menopause. Older female GPs, yeah. talking about menopause at work, being laughed about by. Us. So what's the what's the hope have I got going in? To... Yeah, and this is a cultural thing, and this is why, like you know, I believe in political change and legislation and stuff. But culture has such a huge part to play in changing yeah. the way what we think is normal. And you know, all of culture is basically a battle for who has control of the word normal. And generally, when culture has been dominated by straight white middle class men who've been to Oxford or Cambridge a menopausal woman is nowhere on the cultural radar well they call the economy menopausal when it's been two years ago they made a statement saying the economy was menopausal so broken and rubbish thanks (laughs) well exactly but I'm going to kill you but as we see more women you know generally you know with more and more women who are sharing their stories and talking it does change the you know that's what my hope in anything that I ever do is that we can start stretching the definition of the word normal so that we are constantly talking about what it is to be middle aged so the bad feelings that are trapped inside you I found, and I wrote this the whole chapter about this, and I, 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 I apologise in advance for saying this sentence, but I'll explain why I'm saying it. You need to do yoga. I apologise. <laughs> I know. I apologise because... She made me do it. I, I was like, you can take your bendy roly-poly, arming lululemon, knitwittery, somewhere else, because I am not doing yoga. But it works, right? Yeah. It works. I'll tell you yes. what, it, it works something to do with the parasympathetic nervous system yeah it gets you really high and also like if you look that's a better way yes yeah. i mean that's how i sell it to people because i the reason i apologize for saying it is because you get told all of your life that when you're stressed and tense you should do yoga and people who tell you to do yoga look really smug and you want to kill them <laughs> yeah right yeah i do it but when i realized the the big moment for me was when i realized that if you just didn't call it yoga if you just called yeah. it fucking about because that's what it is <laughs> some lying down yes some lying down and breathing deeply is a viable you're doing a sport when you do that if you're doing yoga well, you're and having like, an hour out and it's just going back to doing what we did as kids kids run in a room and do a roly-poly and they're upside down and they're stretching their legs and then we're told constantly sit straight sit still and then you have a tense conversation with someone in accounts in like 1997 and you clench your buttocks and hold your breath to get through it and then I've you realize 20 years later years. literally yeah. so when you finally start doing your deep breathing and going i am going to consciously <laughs> so relax annoying. my ass it works you suddenly have a flashback <laughs> to 1997 when it just when you started clenching and never stopped why i do wild swimming you know swimming in a cold lake oh, like kind of me and the slits literally stopped me going properly <laughs> 
properly it's mad. It's my favourite thing, and if I don't do it, I get really tense. It is like a drug. My favourite thing that I saw at the swim up at Hampstead Ponds, and there was a she must have been seventy or eighty year old. Oh, she looked like she was a high court amazing. judge. She was brilliant. <laughs> huge sort of bonnet on her head a swimming costume and she's going down the rungs into the lake and it's so cold so the first leg goes in and she goes now i don't care about my job (laughs) second rung down now i don't care about my kids third rung down and now i don't care about my fucking husband and then she just swam (laughs) off into the lake i love the ponds yes but talking about husbands um (laughs) i think your chapters on marriage we like the sex chapters trish get to it we like it in terms of hope we're gonna have some maintenance sex next week i think that the divorce rates in the uk are going to go down after women seriously because i think the way that you you know, we, we know that they come bottom far to-do list, right? And it's so easy amongst all the emotional labour stuff that we're doing and we get really angry because they're not doing it. They do kind of, you know, they just get buried in all of that. But you just, the way you write about Pete and your relationship is just really He's a lovely, lovely. man. He really is a lovely man. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Well, it's technically quite difficult because, like, it's it's really noticeable generally. Does he mind? Oh, no, I, I pass everything past okay. him. And he's yeah. also a writer as well and he wrote a memoir yes. about his childhood recently. So we, we talk about the technical difficulties of talking about writing about people that you know and I tried I put quite a lot of technical technique into what I do although hopefully you can't see in that (laughs) generally we are not we as a species are not supposed to write about our personal lives and our marriages like there is supposed to be a secrecy and an omerta around that and that's part of the problem because all the movies that you see when we talk about love it's the beginning where you meet each other you meet in a cute way you have a couple of hours then you get married and then boom the stories stop and it's seen as like impolite or rude or an invasion of your own privacy or boastful or indulgent or all these different things if you talk about the realities of trying to stay together for the rest of your life in something that's half a business and half like the founding of souls in children and like well that's well that's why it's so fucking difficult then because what can you template against no one's actually telling you what's happening what will happen after 40 or how to you know and going you know it's a genuine surprise to me when after I'd been with my husband for seven years that I still really loved him because the only things that I'd seen written about long term relationships were people going yeah well the bloom wears off after a couple of years and then you're just kind of putting up with each other and that was the only real things that I'd seen written about marriage and I was like I'd never read anything about people who were still together and really loved each other I think the affection there is such incredible incredible affection that yeah. you show and I was thinking oh I need to be more affectionate to Neil and I've actually well, started being <laughs> more affectionate to him I think I might have given him a stroke on his back in bed last night talk to me about your mum's menopause then because when I've we've done pieces on this um on the newspapers that I've worked on all the doctors say well you need to ask your mum what she went through because you might mirror that from a genetic point of view I mean I couldn't possibly ask my mother about her menopause she'd go into I don't even know if my mum had because my mum had eight children so she was constantly pregnant I mean she might even be pregnant again now she just seems to be (laughs) pumping out humans endlessly she's like a salmon lots of of estrogens like kind of like so so yeah I'm not I'm kind of not really in contact with my parents anymore so I don't know so the chances of me ringing her up now after five years and going so what's up with your uterus but do you look back I suppose you wouldn't look back then because Louise Wenner talked about her mum um, taking all her undergarments oh, her that were strapped corsets. her corsets off and just it. throwing them in a tip because she couldn't <laughs> bear yeah, it. And that oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the roll on, roll I'm off ones. Yeah. I'm done now. I don't yeah. have to wear any of this Good shit honor. anymore. Oh. <laughs> have you got any midlife role models? We'd love to know oh, about yeah. the women that you think are kind of killing it out there. <sighs> I don't know. God, do I mean? Um, there was that cliche thing, isn't it? Your friends, like, kind mm, of like yeah. all my friends are absolutely uh, storming it. Um, 
I don't know, really. I can't think What of do you that. think is going to happen in the next five years then? Because I'm here from the future to tell you things will happen. Yes. Oh, really what in terms of the menopause? Yeah. Oh, go on. <laughs> go on. Clue me in because I thought I would just stay on HRT for the rest of my life. Go on. Yeah, well, no, in, but like... you will. You must yes. because it's good for osteoporosis and everything. Well, I got the, I got the, do- the massive doom and gloom at 49. Having had... Uh, taking HRT for panic attacks, which I'd never had in my life. I couldn't possibly understand. I thought people were making giant fuss about things. <laughs> and suddenly I was un- un- completely unravelled over a whole year. And absolutely brilliant now because of the HRT and everything. But when I got to 49, it it started to come back. Shit. Even though I was on the... Well, this is because obviously the the levels had to be changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slightly. But then I, be- I got this massive rebirth feeling mm. of kind of... I don't have to put up with any of this. The The kind of no fucks are given phase of it but at the same time the kind of oh my god i've only got 30 years left the death maths phase oh, yeah of yeah, it. yeah. So yeah. Only, it suddenly only gets more royal variety performances you... for me <laughs> but you just yeah no olympic medal for trampoline <laughs> but you do start going through that bit again i remember 45 being the turning point with the whole sorting it all out and then 50 being another how do you plateau. think you'll deal with that? Well, I'm in constant conversation with my future self. So by 60, I want she to be... Saying? She's in. She lives in Wales. She has a small holding. Um, she's rewilded it all. She has she? a has jotter she? next to her computer where she's writing down each piece of wildlife that she's seen every day. She's tried to reintroduce beavers and otters. Yep, she's writing. She's she's wiry. She's tough. She's going up a mountain and rescuing a sheep that's fallen down a crevasse and carrying it back on her back. She's got <laughs> a forge. She's making her own tools. She's got a kiln. She's making her own crockery. I'm going to be she, like... She's doing a bit of witching in a oh, forest she's super witch yeah all of her enemies are dead her voodoo is strong she has triumphed over all and she's fermenting a revolution amongst Aww. other crones and hags Catelyn Moran genius thank you very much for coming on Postcards from Midlife my absolute in your pleasure. pod it's been so lovely stay a while don't leave Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So we've come to that time of the year where thousands of parents are going to be packing their teenagers off to university. Some of them are going to be left with empty nests. Some of them are going to have their family dynamics change with the, the rest of the 
family staying at home and that's going to be you Lorraine isn't it yes it is I know it's very feeling well it's very very odd because we I just thought it would be one of those things we just get through like every rite of passage Mm -hmm. with children but my eldest who's just turned 18 will be going to Bath University will be driving her up I've had so many lovely messages of support from my friends this week as well, who've already been been there, been a year ahead. And I've been looking at the Facebook group, What I Wish I Knew About University, where people who've already taken their sons and daughters have posted up their rooms and how they've decorated them. And then I've just had these very, I mean, my husband says that I'm living in melancholy corner this week. <laughs> I've just had these really odd moments where I've seen women pushing buggies and I've just thought why am I in this stage who took me out of that stage and put me here I want to go back there that's I feel happier there that's my happy place and suddenly I'm in a bit of life that doesn't feel real or or new and she's got this little um tea kettle and teacup we bought her when she was about eight because she loves a cup of tea she's just loves a cup of tea and I saw her putting it in the pile to take to university yesterday and I just thought, oh, no, she's going to take her cup. That means she won't need it because she won't be here. And we went off to, we ran out of time to go to Ikea and all the other places that everyone recommended. We went off to Sainsbury's up the road, and um, which is good because it's all in the sale, everything, Mm -hmm. and got all her bits and bobs. And it was just the weird, it's just the weirdest weirdest experience because we actively encourage our children to become independent that's what we do as parents Mm. isn't it Um, but that experience of letting go I think it's going to be very painful when you're just not part of their daily lives and you don't have them as these constant companions I I remember I was the first to leave home um, for my brother and sister and I just did I just remember I didn't think anything of it at all didn't think about my my mum helped me get my stuff together it was all lovely and she just burst into tears as I left and it was so unexpected I don't think I've ever seen her cry I had never seen her cry in my life and I just for the first time I thought oh my goodness actually yeah that is quite a big it's deal the for end her of an era, yeah it really is you suddenly realize that this time has properly gone there is no getting it back there's no sort of a friend of mine texted and said that she sees women with buggies and she thinks maybe I could try again perhaps I went back and did it I would do it right this time (laughs) but then you have this realization there is no again it's this is end of days and and yeah and well done you and I think there's there's the worry about there's practical worries about them leaving us isn't there about their children their safety are they going to be able to take care of themselves and uh have you kind of put in um place sort of things about keeping in touch because a a girlfriend of mine was telling me that when her daughter went last year they agreed they would call once a week and I think within two days the daughter was calling her like four four times a day on whatsapp asking her oh how do I switch this kettle on and things you know things like that so um well I think it very much depends on your teenager so my eldest is very capable she can cook she loves cooking um she sorts things out she's doing mechanical engineering she's incredibly practical I think I feel she's going to be okay my 16 year old who leaves in a couple of years time obviously doesn't like cooking is is very creative and probably the opposite personality completely but I don't know I mean I assume people will just look after her but it's Mm -hmm. it's I feel it's you I don't think you can prepare them or you can prepare you for it really but what about what about the other three then are are they well the dynamic will be yeah the dynamic will be different are they they're probably going to miss her as well have you talked to them about how they're feeling about it no they're just carving up her room at the moment they're just bidding (laughs) for the tv 
she's got a telly in her room she bought and uh, yeah they're just asking can they have this can they have that none of which they can have in case she doesn't like it and she wants to come back Um, I think with four each one of them has an individual relationship with the other one so Mm. it will affect the dynamic I think and it will affect the times of, of what we do and, and what we choose to do. We, we're going to do a big goodbye meal for her. Mm-hmm. She loves Italian food. So I've, I felt that I had to do one thing to really make it clear to everyone that she was yeah, not going to be here so to yes, mark the occasion. Yeah, Otherwise yeah. I felt like my nine-year-old would be kind of, she does a lot of art and crafty type stuff mm. with her and that will just stop because she just yeah, won't be around. She won't, she won't come on holiday with us in, in October for half term. A friend of mine, um, the same friend actually was saying she's got two daughters and the second daughter has really, really flourished and come into herself yeah, since the older daughter. Cause I think you've got those as you know, inevitably that one child is going to be more dominant louder you know whatever than the other so I think they felt that that was actually really positive so although they were desperately sad about it it was sort of almost time you know it was that type they needed to go the daughter yeah. needed to go the other I one mean, needed they, to her space exactly yeah. we yeah. had a, we have these sort of touchy moments in the kitchen where she's clearly in my way now or she's clearly yeah. <laughs> we know we've come to the end of our You've come to the end. rubbing but, along together and maybe a little things. bit of yes. a bit of healthy falling out just yes. because she goes it's Possibly quite maybe it's, it's quite a natural, the right quite thing good to do. thing to do. I think for people, um, you know, and I, I'm thinking about this myself. You know, when mine both go, the impact it has on your relationship. If you if you're yes. in a partnership, yeah. you're living because that's something that I think you need to think ahead about. Um, well, certainly the advice that I have read and websites like Relate, they have some good information yeah. on there because you know you can start feeling a loss. Um, you know, feelings of loss, lack of purpose, and that can actually affect your relationship with your partner. Mm. So it's kind of you know giving that some space and thought and trying to work out it's almost like renegotiating the relationship or letting it settle back in to itself in this new dynamic I've been allowed to go on snapchat um so that oh. I can follow her yeah oh, good. <laughs> because she replies to snapchats but she doesn't reply to text oh, or what's you can that, trace so... where she is in well Exeter. I can just you'll know where she can stalk her yeah. I can just check what's yeah. going on and, yeah and what's going she's also quite she's going to Bath so she's quite near her grandparents oh, yeah. so um that's quite good as well so for anyone who is um looking at this scenario maybe in a year or year or two's time it is probably worth getting prepped now for it and there's some great books out there um there's a really good one called starting university what to expect how to prepare go and enjoy that uh is aimed at kids but there's a really nice chapter for parents in there about how you address the gaping silence after the weeks and months of noisy intense preparation and that's by Melissa Scallon and there's also a very sweet little book called uh, 50 Things I Wish I'd Told You a life skills book by Polly Powell and it's just got lots of little short sweet little things it's actually quite a nice little gift I think to give to your child as they're departing and it's got everything from little hangover cures and sewing basics to four simple pasta recipes and it's a really nice little parting gift I think a little bit of mum for them to take with them. Right, Lorraine, the time has come for you to spill the beans on the Botox. How did it go? Well, this is a biggie, isn't it, for our mm. tried and tested. And, and the reason I had it done this for this particular episode, so it's the last episode of Postcards from Midlife, is uh, reading Catelyn Moran's book, mm-hmm. Catelyn, who we just interviewed. Um, so when she wrote her first book, How to Be a Woman, um, which was kind of a feminist manifesto, she was 
to use her own words, the Botox police. She inferred that it was somehow letting the sisterhood down if you have Botox. Now, in her new book, obviously, she has reversed <laughs> that decision because once one hits 40, everything is a shock and one reverses mm-hmm. one's decision about many, many things. Mm. <laughs> So I thought I would go and do it because between Mm. my eyebrows at the age of 52, I really just wanted people to stop saying to me, what's the matter? Why are you so cross? Are you sad? Yeah. Are you tired? Marion Keyes said exactly the same thing, didn't she? In in the first episode of this series where she's just fed up with the the kind of, you know, people thinking there's something wrong with her because she's got these little frown lines. So the who, what, why, when, where of all of this is. So the who is me, (laughs) the why is the frown lines. Um, And I had, I went to see Dr. Sam Bunting, who Mm -hmm. is a cosmetic dermatologist who works in Harley Street. And friend of the show. Friend of the show who we interviewed Mm -hmm. um, earlier on. Now, Sam's got a really good reputation. She's qualified. She is a professional. I think when you do something like this, you've got to go somewhere where you can trust it and somebody is qualified. And basically, Botox just relaxes the muscles around the uh, frowning the line area so they learn not to make that so the creases disappear it lasts up to three months it kicks in within three to five days so the muscles uh relax within three to five days five injections eight minutes all over um and how much lighter was your wallet at the end of it (laughs) that's that's the question if I was a math genius, I could work this out. So that would have cost me five injections, the two lines, to get rid of the two lines or to soften the two lines, £325. Mm, mm-hmm. Now, it's an expensive eight minutes or it's a cheap three months in terms yeah. of skincare. I mean, I think at this age, if you want to invest in your skincare and you want to try something and you've, you've done the allergy test, et cetera, and you, you can do it, then... It is a viable thing to do. I, I think it's a, it's a long-term investment as well, isn't it? Because if yeah. you're if those lines aren't working away now, if you stop doing it, if you decide to stop doing it, say in five years' time or ten years' time, it will be better because those because you haven't got yeah. those frown lines already there. She does, you know, and I, any good practitioner dermatologist will do this: sit down and talk about why. Why is it you want? Want to have it done. And often there are a lot of other reasons that come up underneath, aren't there? It's a very emotional time. Mm. I, I remember my hairdresser once telling me that when women come in and say, I need to have my hair all cut off or I'm going to dye it a totally different colour, it usually means there's something like a divorce or yeah. a new baby, yeah. something is happening in their lives. There's a website called Save Face, actually, which is yeah. a girl- approved uh, list of practitioners but you know you, you're saying that Sam sat down and talked to you you should have a consultation before yes. beforehand you should have yeah. some cooling off time you should be able to uh, you know th- ask about their insurance there's, there's a whole list of things so it's really worth checking Do out beforehand check out. yeah Do exactly so Trish I have gone forth and bravely tested this for <laughs> I, I feel like life. you want a medal for this I do I really do it's quite a I big like deal win isn't it it's I feel like I've deal. stepped over a line okay. and no one's yeah. here to greet me with any I kind don't know because so anything. many of us have been there <laughs> done it before maybe that's so annoying I first no. anyway what have you been trying well, and testing I've actually Same been week. this isn't something I've been doing for a week this is actually something I've been doing for quite a few months um because I've been trying to see if there's anything I can do to improve the appearance you know I'm a bit fixated about my sunspot 
spots and those kind of splodgy freckles that all join up on on the face. Um, Discoloration. What's it called? Yeah, it's, well, it's called hyperpigmentation, right. which is basically dark spots, sunspots, and, and skin discoloration, and it's essentially caused by UV light pollution, but hormones. So a lot of women in their midlife yes. have hormone yeah. fluctuations, and you can also get breakouts and. In- inflammation and, and it basically triggers the release of excess pigmentation in your skin so i've been doing this three-step plan that i read about first thing is you need to use a vitamin c serum in the morning because it has an antioxidant effect and helps oh, with the effects of sun damage and i've been using balance me vitamin c repair serum which costs 29 pounds then i've been absolutely religious about not going out without a broad spectrum sunscreen containing an spf 30 or more and, and again our friend dr sam bunting i love her for Flawless daily sunscreen, which uh, sun cream, which is like twenty nine pounds. It doesn't <laughs> wear. Doesn't oh, ever go out without sunscreen. No, you can't exactly or hat. Um, and then there's a nighttime treatment which I've been using Ren's overnight glow dark spot sleeping cream, which costs forty nine pounds, and it's a really lovely nighttime moisturizer. Um, but it's got this added benefit because the ingredients target just the the, the actual dark spots rather than because some treatments can light it sort of treat your overall face. But I just want to kind of sort out these kind of dark spots and. Um, So I started using it in May, so it's been about four months now. And I have to say, I do think it's made a difference. And I actually did a little before and after photo of some of the splodges. And I do think that they look less pronounced and just generally I've got a sort of slightly more even skin tone, which is really nice. But I think think it's difficult when you're fair, isn't it? You and I basically see through, aren't we? Celtic in our... Exactly. And so those those spots, I, I was really kind of self-conscious and uncomfortable about them. But if you want to get rid of them altogether, you have to do something hard, more hardcore, which is a, is a laser pigmentation um, yeah. removal thing. So again, must get a, a very qualified practitioner and that will kind of zap you the spots and they'll go a bit red and then go darker and, and flake off a bit after a while i have done that in the past and that's quite successful too because does it that work deep. it does because sometimes the damage or the pigmentation is much deeper in the skin level so so yeah so that's what i've been trying and testing and feeling quite pleased actually with the old so we've both got new faces got yeah brand new faces not not new <laughs> just a bit old shinier yeah, yeah. Now it's our last little trip down memory lane for a while. And uh, what have you been feeling nostalgic about, Lorraine? Well, um, bear with me on this, Trish, because I'm not mm. normally an interiors person. As you know, mm. I do not have the eye for mm. interiors. But if I say elephant's breath, mouse's ears. Yes. Farrell and Ball, is it? Farrell and Ball, to you. yes, very nice. So yeah. Grey, for years and years and years, Grey has dominated, can't believe mm-hmm. I'm saying that sentence, Grey has dominated the interiors world. Every house you go into, Grey, 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 Grey. And then when I used to get fashion shoots handed in to me and the background was always Grey and the team would always say, oh, it's because everything stands <laughs> out from Grey. It looks amazing. And I'd say, yeah, but it, it, it's Grey. It looks Stop dull. Grey, yes. it looks very dull. But actually with interiors it does. But anyway, Grey is gone. Do you know what is the new grey? Oh, I'm, I'm, I know green was there for a while. Sage, but it didn't quite sage make was it. there. Sage, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's not sage though, is it? No, I'll tell you what it is. It's brown. Oh, you are joking. And the reason oh. that is a nostalgia noodle is because brown is the colour of the 70s, is it not? 
Definitely. I mean, it, it is the colour of the 70s. For My sure. mum had a full-length brown sheepskin coat that oh. she never wore and we weren't allowed to touch and it sort of hung up in a cupboard and I used to stroke mm-hmm. it. She had a maxi dress that had these massive brown cuffs and brown collars. Yep. I mean, everything was brown. Brown and flares. I remember flares. many pairs of yeah. brown flares in our household. Yeah. So now you've got to do the house brown. I know about oh. this because... Um, the wonderful blogger, and uh, she's on Instagram as Mad About the House, Kate Watson Smythe, who is absolutely brilliant. You should follow her if you want to know about interiors. She's very down to earth. But she said, Gone is grey, brown is back. But you oh. have to tread very carefully. It goes mm. with things like pink, apparently. And if you're wild yeah. and, and you've got every kind of special magic interior yes. powers, you can yes. put it with orange. I'd be looking forward to seeing what the names are of these luxurious paints. <laughs> Pooh Brown? Brown. Instead of elephants, breath. Do, what would you <laughs> I just think it's a. I just think it, it does look quite nice. Some of the stuff that I'm seeing yeah. in the magazines and stuff. So does it's not. Look it's quite not nice. a seventies take on brown, is it? Interiors no, it's slightly darker. It's slightly darker. Okay, I'm going to let you go first with that one, Lorraine. We'll right, see then. how it looks in your house. <laughs> What, what have you noodled this well, week? a bit different, uh, but also back to the 70s when we used to do, uh, do you remember B Bagger, B-A-G-A gymnastics? Badges? I remember it sadly, Trish. Oh, why? Did you not get any? Did you not pass? <laughs> when I was a child, I was very enthusiastic about sport, but mm. horrendously clumsy. Oh. And I spent quite a lot of time falling off that suede Horse. The vault, the horse thing. The vault, yeah. banging yeah. my nose. Because I'd uh, go at it with real enthusiasm yeah. and smack into it, fall off it. Uh, and, I'm, and I was like a tiny child, like a skinny little thing. And I remember the teacher saying, I just don't understand why you can't do this. Uh, like, devastating. Well, devastating. My- Hopeless mine, that it never got mine slightly similar in the uh, sort of damning words from a teacher situation. I was actually quite good at it. So there were badges, weren't there? One to yes, eight. You and you kind it. of moved up the badges and you had to do different things like stand on one leg or Split. do a forward roll and stand up coming out of the forward roll. And then it would get more advanced with the splits and things like that. And I was actually quite good at it. And I did have a few of those badges. Um, but there was a slightly unfortunate situation <laughs> We had to do a performance at a sort of school open day or something hideous like that. So, of course, that involved leotards, right? And the leotards that the the gym teacher supplied them, and there were yellow ones and white ones. And she said, you can't have a white one, a yellow one, because I'm giving those to the girls with all the nice tan skin. And she gave (laughs) me a white one that was almost see-through. And no. you can imagine how that looked how old with, with the you? Celtic blue skin. I was about 13. And needless to say, that was the end of the gymnastics. So it's cruel, tr- weren't they? Imagine being in, in, a, in a gym with parents and kids yeah. looking like that and having to vault over something and hope that everything was, you know, not showing. Hey, indeed. maybe we should do it now, Trish. <gasps> Definitely, because you can still do the awards. I looked it up. You can still do them. So maybe we you can get a BAGA now. <laughs> Without yes. being told we're hopelessly clumsy idiots. Yes, and, and looking hideous in a white leotard. Definitely. So that brings us to the end of this episode and the end of series two, in fact. We're both off for a big gin gimlet now, aren't we, Trish? Definitely. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it and I really hope that you found it useful. If you did enjoy it, please rate and review us on your podcast provider. If you want to stay connected while we have a little hiatus, please follow us on Instagram and also join us on our Facebook group as we'll still be bringing you all the latest midlife news and some of our silly chat on there as well. And finally, apart from saying thank you to everyone listening and everyone involved, we'd also like to thank our wonderful producer, Lee, who you haven't heard from. Lee, can you give us a bit of your fabulous Scottish accent? Hello, everyone. You won't be hearing this very often. (laughs) (laughs) So Lee has been incredibly patient and very thorough, and she's been a brilliant producer. She has steered us through all of our virtual recordings, which I think is pretty epic for a whole series Mm -hmm. of postcards from midlife. Thank you, Trish and Lorraine. She's only 12 as well. <laughs> exactly. What drivel she has had she to listen to. She hasn't quite got frankly. a clue what we're talking about no. half the time, poor thing. Coming at you. <laughs> we look forward to seeing you for series three. Goodbye. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.